So, Jim. Claire. Would you consider your dear departed dog, Kanga, to have been loyal to you? Of course I would. Kanga and I were basically best friends. And have you ever considered why Kanga was loyal to you? Well, I fed her, I housed her, I gave her lots of belly rubs. So I'm guessing that Kanga thought of me as her owner, as loyal to me, because because I'm the one who gives her nice things. I am sure that Kanga appreciated those nice things, and particularly the belly rubs. But (laughs) according to the experts, these are not the reasons that she was loyal to you, at least not the only reason that she was loyal to you. Well, what was it then? Aha. Well, bear with us, because that is exactly what we're going to be finding out today. Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in London, England. Welcome to Dog Edition. Where voices from around the world consider all things dog. Dog Edition is the first show designed for you to listen to while you walk your dogs. Today's episode is all about dog loyalty. We'll be sharing stories of some of history's most loyal canines... Plus, the science behind why dogs are loyal to us in the first place. We unpack things like the prehistoric evolution of dogs and how dogs perceive their owners and the hormones behind their loyal behavior, that and so much more. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's go for a walk because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey, Pepper, want to go for a walk? So I thought we would kick off today's episode with a story of one of history's most loyal dogs. That is weird, because I had exactly the same thoughts. So you came prepared to discuss the story of Hashiko. Mm, No, I thought you were talking about the story of Fido. Fido? Wait. Fido? Which Fido? The Fido. The Fido that all other Fidos are named after. I guess I never wondered where the name Fido came from. In fact, I didn't even realize there was a first Fido. What are you talking about? Yeah, there was an original Fido. Okay, Claire, tell us the story of Fido. Okay, here it goes. It's 1941, and one November night, an Italian brick worker named Carlo Soriani is walking home from the local bus stop when he sees an injured dog at the side of the road. So Carlo brings him home and nurses him back to health. By the time the dog is feeling better, he and his wife have decided to keep him, and they name him Fido. Fido, is that an Italian word for something? It's actually the Latin word Mm. for, wait for it, faithful. Mm. Well, that is appropriate given the theme for today's episode on loyalty. Yeah, well, you wait until you hear how the story ends. So Carlo takes the bus to work every day and Fido starts following him. And eventually Fido starts meeting Carlo at the bus stop in the evening on his way home too. So this dog was not only able to figure out how to get to the bus stop, but this dog somehow knew exactly what time to be there and and, and when his owner was coming home. Exactly. It's a pretty smart dog. <laughs> yeah, well, this goes on for two years until Carlo, Fido's owner, gets killed in an Allied attack in Italy. Oh. Because 
you know, it's Europe in the 1940s, World War II. Where I think I know where this story is going. Does Fido by any chance spend the rest of his life going back to the bus stop in the <laughs> same way each and every day to wait for Carlo years and years later? That's exactly how this story ends. <laughs> One <laughs> estimate says that Fido went to the bus stop five thousand times waiting for his owner to return but wait james if you've never heard this story before how did you know that well the story of fido is basically the same story of hashiko i've never heard the story of hashiko mm. Okay, well, let's make this really quick because you kind of see where it's going. Hashiko was an Akita who was born in Japan during the 1920s. And his owner, whose name is, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Hidusuboro Ono. Please, I apologize. His owner took the train every day that he went to work. And when he returned in the evening, guess what? Hashiko would go to the train station to greet him. But after the owner died, Hashiko continued to go to that very same train station at that very same time, waiting for him to return. But of course, he never did because he was dead. The end of the story. That is exactly the same story with different dogs in different countries. Yeah, I don't know about Fido, but I do know that Hashiko went on to become quite a mini-celebrity in Japan. There were newspaper articles about him, and the government even built a commemorative statue in his honor. And that part of the story is eerily familiar as well, because <laughs> there's a Fido statue in Italy at the bus stop where his owner <laughs> used to take him every day. You see, we like to memorialize our dogs and their loyalty for us in statues and plaques and all sorts of things, because dogs are special and we want to memorialize that. Yeah, it also shows how stories spread, and I'm not quite mm -hmm. sure which one of these was true to begin with. <laughs> They're legendary, I guess. Mm -hmm. Anyway, now that we've shared some stories of these incredibly loyal dogs, probably you're wondering, what makes these dogs, Hashiko, Fido, <laughs> and your own dog so very loyal? Yep, it's a big question with a multifaceted answer. I thought maybe our dogs are so loyal to us because we give them treats and like you were saying, belly rubs <laughs> and put a roof over their heads. Mm -hmm. But according to James Serple, professor of animal ethics and welfare at the University of Pennsylvania, that's not exactly it. Interestingly enough, it appears that dogs will form these kinds of loyal attachments, faithful attachments to individuals, even in the absence of that behavior being reinforced by feeding or attention or that kind of things. We also spoke with Amanda Matoski, protege of the renowned dog trainer and best-selling author Kevin Behan, and she concurs. It's not even about food, believe it or not. It's not about objects or security that we can give them. Um, what it really comes down to is moving well with us. Moving well with us. What, what does that actually mean? It basically means that a long time ago, humans and dogs shared a common goal centered around the hunt. Way back in the day when wolves were working together in packs to bring down bigger and bigger prey and humans were, you know, hunting, gathering, trying to figure out how to support bigger and bigger civilizations, our goals aligned. And it was the ability to move well together to take down that prey that actually is what's been reinforcing that relationship 
over the course of thousands of years. The dogs were the wolf that was able to overcome our predatory resistance. Those were the ones that were willing to work with us and move with us in the hunt. This idea of a shared goal between dogs and humans based around the hunt is one of the main theories explaining how wolves evolved into our pet dogs. Professor Anne Burroughs, a biological anthropologist at Duquesne University, shared a related but slightly different perspective on the mutually beneficial hunting partnership between prehistoric humans and dogs. Upper Paleolithic people didn't have storage. So when they killed a large animal, they butchered it on site, took what they could, and left kind of the garbage behind. And there are some people that think that a certain population of wolves who are maybe not so scared of humans would come and eat the garbage left behind, and they just kind of attach themselves to humans. And Professor Serple had the simplest theory of all. He thinks it's possible that a long time ago, there were just some wolves who were inclined to like us humans. And because they liked us, we liked them. The argument here seems to be that when humans adopted wolves essentially as pets, we selected for those individuals that were open to forming these kinds of attachments. Okay, so this is all very much a prologue or a a long-winded answer to the question, why are dogs so loyal? But I think I see where we are going here. If I'm understanding this correctly, early on, there were some wolves who were inclined to bond with humans for whatever reason. And as that particular subset of wolves evolved into dogs, this interspecies bonding, it just won out as a favorable trait of natural selection. These are sort of the uh, preconditions, we'll say, required for dogs to be loyal. Yeah, that's basically it. And just to be clear, once those preconditions were in place, it didn't take long for the loyalty bonds between humans and dogs to emerge. We start seeing about 30,000 years ago, in Europe anyway, people being buried with their dogs. Okay, so I think we can sum up what we've learned here so far by simply saying that the preconditions of loyalty are basically baked into the dog's DNA. And now that we understand that they're baked into the DNA, I want to know more about how dogs perceive us and if that affects the way they express their loyalty. Because I've heard people anecdotally say that dogs are so loyal because dogs think their owners are part of their pack. They're just pack animals and they think of us as part of their pack. But I have no idea if that is actually true. It's sort of true, but it's more nuanced than that. Of course. I think it's more accurate to say that most dogs perceive their owners as parent-type figures than as pack members. But then the whole thing gets confusing because if you look at wolf packs, traditionally, they are families. So when a puppy is born into a wolf pack, the deference it shows towards other members of their pack is that of a junior towards a senior. That's very much the same with our dogs in our families, that they are very much behaving in the manner of a junior individual towards senior individuals. That is really, that's really cool. Yeah, and aside from the basics of survival, there's nothing the average dog wants more than to be with their owner. I would say the biggest observation, at least that Kevin had made, is when people get a dog for their dog um, or bring it to the dog park or, or bring it to doggy daycare. You have these dogs where 
they're still coming home and they're still acting out. You can tell they're still not fulfilled in their lives, even though we're filling it up with pack animals for them to be friends with and for them to play with. Because what it comes down to is the dog wants to move energy with you. The dog wants to move energy with the human, with their owner. That is what they're here to do. That is what they want. So this is not to say that dog parks and other dog friends are bad, but generally speaking, they are not a substitute for the healthy relationship between a dog and its human owner. And by the way, the Kevin that Amanda mentions is, again, Kevin Behan, her mentor and renowned dog trainer. Kevin's works are amazing. We will have a link to those in the show notes from today's episode. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, we will talk about dog loyalty as it relates to the breed of the dog. And we'll also discuss neurochemistry and how that has anything to do with dog loyalty. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day, I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. Claire, there is something that comes to mind. So far as our discussion goes today, we have been assuming that dogs have just one single owner. And in some cases, that, of course, is true. But for many, many dogs, they are owned or part of a family that includes mothers and fathers and kids and grandparents and whoever lives in the household. So we want to know how a dog's innate tendency towards that loyalty play out in these scenarios. For example, I think that sometimes... I've been in relationship with people and dogs, and the dog favors one person over the other. Oh, yeah. And uh, sometimes that can get a little <clears throat> interesting. That is a great question, and our guest, Anne Burroughs, has a lot to say about it. First, let's address how a dog comes to identify its owner or owners. It's more complex than this, but it's all us to say time in equals bond out. So you can't be hands-off with the dog and uninvolved in their day-to-day -day lives and then be upset when that dog prefers somebody else. 
So that's common sense. So when a person or lots of people put in time to care for the dog, that is how the dog comes to see their owner or owners. And, you know, this is obviously not a competition, but I just have to say that Maple is literally lying on my feet while we're recording this. And it's nothing to do with the fact that I have a radiator running in this room and it's the warmest room in the house. <laughs> nothing to do with that. <laughs> no, 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 no. She just loves you. Yeah. So is that what's happening right there with you or is it the radiator, Claire? <laughs> I don't know, but don't break it to my children or my husband that the dog prefers me. This this could be like a massive family fallout. <laughs> so what do you think is going on there? Well, this is going to sound like a joke, but also not really if you think about it. Dogs likely have preferences in how some humans, okay, seriously, mm -hmm. smell versus others. And those preferences can dictate their loyalty preferences. Dogs are about smelling. They are olfactory creatures. They are really geared towards scent. So you have to kind of think about that. What does each person smell like? When you're feeling strong emotions, your body odor changes. Sweat glands activate. So, I mean, those all come into play. There are also variations in loyalty from breed to breed. There are certainly breeds that are well known as being aloof, and that doesn't mean that all individuals are. Typically, though, we're looking at the ancient dogs that are more aloof, like Chow Chows, Sharpays, Afghans. But then we also have breeds like Doggo Argentino that they're not ancient breeds, but they are typically known as being more like one-person dog breeds, where if you are that owner or if you are that couple that that is in that dog's world, you're kind of it, and you might not be a house where, where all sorts of people can gather and wander in. I imagine a golden retriever is on the opposite end of the spectrum there. <laughs> <laughs> and labs too, of course. Labrador Retriever is very pop. Uh, did, did you just? Uh, she's get making her. She's letting us all know <laughs> she is there. We really do have dogs who are part of this podcast. Thank you for perfect cue. <laughs> oh, so, according to Anne, that is exactly why retrievers and labs are so popular, and small companion dogs tend to fall into this category as well. Hmm. Interesting fact. So pick your breed carefully mm -hmm. if you're looking for that loyalty factor. Well, we've covered a lot of topics so far on dog loyalty in a short amount of time. But before we wrap up, I have one last question. Do we know what is going on inside the dog's brains when they're, you know, doing what dogs do and, and being loyal? I don't think you're going to be surprised to discover that oxytocin, the hormone, plays a role in this, and it's what sustains loyalty in the long term. Oxytocin, yes. Isn't that what we call the love hormone in people? Yep, but dogs have it too. In fact, all mammals do. It's best known as the hormone that increases bonds between mothers and their babies during breastfeeding, but it actually does a lot more than that. I'm no scientist, which I think my science teacher would say is true. Uh, so let's get the folks from osmosis.org to tell us a bit about this hormone. Osmosis.org is one of the web's top resources for learning about medicine and health through fun and engaging videos. Oxytocin affects everyone, not just mothers. It promotes generosity and trust, decreases fear, and even helps people recover from negative social interactions. 
oxytocin is also incredibly important for pair bonding, like in romantic relationships, increasing mood and feelings of attachment. I love that. So the hormones, the neurochemistry of our dog's loyalty is kind of using the same chemicals inside the brain as a human gets when a breastfeeding mother feeds her baby or couples fall in love. That is pretty incredible. And it just shows us that we're all connected by the same thing, neurochemicals. (laughs) It's actually even more amazing than that because the release of oxytocin can be triggered simply by gazing at our dog's eyes. Oh my gosh, that totally elucidates so many things for me because again, to talk about Kanga, Mm -hmm. one of the things that she was so extraordinary at doing was was eye gazing. And we think it happened early in her life because we followed some, some, I think the monks of New Skeet on some other idea about like looking into a dog's eye and, and developing a bond. I don't think they talked about oxytocin, but that was something that we did when she was a puppy. And throughout her life, she would just look at us and make us feel so good and feel that love. And of course it's neurochemicals that's making that possible. But it sounds like it's just a dog thing. So I don't want to, pose this C word here <laughs> on the <coughs> dog edition, but we'll talk about cats. Do you think cats release oxytocin when looking into their owner's eyes? <sighs> this is awkward that you brought this up, but mm-hmm. no, they don't. Not when looking into their <laughs> owner's eyes. They do release oxytocin when they're around their owners, but wait for it. According to one study, dogs release five, five times more. I knew it. I think I have a, a sli- I mean, we know that we have a lot of people here who love their dogs and cats equally, yeah. but I <clears throat> have a strong bias towards dogs and it's clearly a chemical or at least I like the oxytocin. You know, I'm sure we might get letters about this, but I don't think cats, you would ever say cats were as loyal as dogs, would you? I mean, they're lots of things that right. they're lovely, they're, you know, affectionate, blah, 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 but they're not as loyal. So Claire... I see what you meant at the top of the show when you said, no, the reason that Kanga was loyal (laughs) to me was not because I fed her or gave her belly rubs or put a roof over her head, but it's sort of like baked into what a dog is. And that's a, a combination of evolution over time. And so that's kind of in the DNA. They get this hit of oxytocin that makes us all feel a little bit more loved. And so loyalty is a reward in and of itself that... Modern dogs, our dogs, just feel and know, and that is why they are so loyal. Yeah, so unlike something like sit or stay, this isn't something you train them to do. This is just who they are. It's why we love dogs so much and why dogs love us. Well, that is all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for bringing us along on your walk. Don't forget, if you don't want to miss the next episode, then follow along in your podcast app. And the most powerful thing you can do for this show is to recommend it to somebody because we all love recommendations. So if you get talking to a dog lover, then please recommend Dog Edition to them. I'm Claire Mansell. And I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? 
Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast. <laughs> 